From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, CAM for glaucoma. But this high acceptance of the usefulness of CAM therapies may indicate that patients could be open to misinformation or their expectations perhaps may not be where they should be. First this. In order to provide medical education free of commercial bias, as seen from here requires a financial interest disclosure before any podcast program. Dr. Ezra declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. Patients with chronic medical conditions often seek alternatives to conventional allopathic medicine. One such chronic condition is glaucoma, and there is a wealth of alternative remedies for this pathology. But leaving aside whether these therapies work, let's ask a more fundamental question. Since these therapies are, by definition, alternative, what is the nature of the evidence of their efficacy, and how do our patients find out about them in the first place? Daniel Ezra has appeared before on a scene from here talking to us about intracameral lidocaine. Today, Daniel speaks to us about alternative therapies for glaucoma. Daniel Ezra, welcome back to a scene from here. What is CAM? Well, in its strictest sense, complementary medicine refers to a group of treatments which are used together with conventional medicine, which is different from alternative medicine, where these are used in place of conventional medicine. Um, but these distinctions really tend to be quite blurred, uh, and in most of the scientific literature looking at this kind of treatment, uh, they tend to be grouped together and referred to as complementary and alternative medicine, or CAM therapies. And uh, these CAM therapies are not are usually not taught um, or used in Western medical schools or hospitals. And CAMs include a large number of practices and systems of healthcare that for a variety of reasons haven't been adopted in mainstream medicine. But deciding what to include under the banner of CAM therapies can be very difficult. Um, for example, I'm sure we'd all agree that acupuncture uh, would be a CAM therapy, but you know, what about exercise or, or diet control? or even prayer. Um, So in our study, we've tried to be as inclusive as possible so that we can detect the widest possible range of therapies uh, which are are available and being advised. How widespread is CAM therapy among glaucoma patients? Well, the evidence is pretty sparse. And it's based on really two surveys, one in the US of over 1,000 patients, which estimated that about uh, 5.4% of, of patients were using CAM therapies for glaucoma. Um, and a smaller study in the UK of about 700 patients, which found, again, a, a similar number, um, slightly less, about 4% using CAM therapies for glaucoma. So it, it is a relatively small proportion, but, but certainly not insignificant. And it's going to be very difficult to know how this is going to change over time because um, a lot of information from other areas of medicine where CAM therapies are widely used do indicate that the prevalence of use is increasing year on year. Daniel, are these patients generally less well-educated than other patients are? Yeah, well, both of these studies included uh, interesting demographic data, and they found that patients using CAM therapies were more likely to be educated beyond high school level and less likely to be retired. Um, And and this concurs again with, with several other studies looking at CAM therapies, um, in other areas, for example, cancer, 
and it, it's a widely established um, it, it is widely established that um, it tends to be a phenomenon associated with people who are more highly educated and more affluent. To what extent has the internet been a means for dissemination of information about CAM? Well, it's estimated that there are more than one billion users of the internet worldwide, and uh, it's again the internet is changing our healthcare behaviour so dramatically that it's very difficult to, to to pinpoint exactly how this is impacting on things. But there have been a couple of important surveys which do give some indication. Um, a very famous poll in the US called the Harris Poll. Um, which has also been called the Cyberchondriax Poll, which was conducted a couple of years ago, uh, estimated that 117 million U.S. citizens use the Internet regularly uh, to access information on healthcare. And the Pew Internet Foundation, which is an organization uh, which examines the impact of the Internet on health and social issues, uh, has estimated that of the people looking for healthcare on the internet, about 48% uh, were looking for CAM therapies or, or certainly searched for CAM therapies. So a lot of people are using the internet to look for healthcare, and a large proportion of those are looking at CAM therapies. How do patients generally get CAM products? They're very easy to obtain. You know, no prescription is required, um, but figures are not easy to come by, again, uh, because of the huge range of providers. But these are very easy to obtain, and there have been some estimates of uh, the amount of money being spent on them, and it's been estimated that over the last, uh, on a year-on-year basis, um, about between 36 and $47 billion are spent in the U.S. on CAM therapies, which is estimated to be about as much as is spent out-of-pocket for uh, physician healthcare services. Leaving aside questions about the effectiveness of CAM, how satisfied are patients with CAM? Well, according to those previous surveys that, that I mentioned earlier, um, it's estimated that about 50% found them to be helpful and were very satisfied with them. Um, and again, that's a very similar kind of level of satisfaction, which has been shown in other areas of medicine where CAM therapies are using, being used, particularly in cancer, where they're actually even higher. But this high acceptance of the usefulness of CAM therapies um, may indicate that patients could be open to misinformation uh, or their expectations might perhaps may not be where they should be. Um, Again, the Pew Internet Foundation found that about 90% of Internet health users um, found that the information that they were accessing was reliable despite not having checked anywhere else or discussed it with their own physicians. And that's regardless of the source of the information and whether or not there was any commercial bias uh, governing the way the information was written. So it's just important to note that satisfaction, although it's high, um, may overlap with the concept of vulnerability to misinformation. So, But again, these things are not entirely clear, but we have to appreciate that there may be a link between satisfaction and misinformation. Daniel, let me get you to describe the design of your study. Right, well, this was a systematic internet, internet-based search. Um, we tried to identify websites that were most likely to receive hits from people searching the internet for information on CAM therapies for glaucoma. We used the eight most popular search engines, and we uh, put in keywords of complementary or alternative medicine along with glaucoma. 
and the first 50 websites that appeared on each search engine were noted. Every website that appeared on at least three of the eight search engines was included in the study, and uh, only websites in English uh, were explored, and all, all pages belonging to each website were thoroughly explored, but no links to any other sites. What is the Sandvik score? Yeah, the Sandvik score is a previously validated um, scoring template, um, which gives us some idea of the quality of a healthcare website. And it contains seven different domains. Um, and each domain is scored from 0 to 2, giving a total score of 14. So the first domain is, all, is ownership, relating to whether the name and type of provider are clearly stated. Then authorship, relating to whether the author's name and their qualifications are clearly stated. Um, then the source, uh, which relates to references, which are given uh, to the scientific literature where relevant. Uh, currency, uh, identifying the date of publication or updates, uh, interactivity, uh, whether there was a clear invitation to comment or ask questions via email, uh, navigability, whether information was easily found by following links on the site, and balance, which is basically looking at whether the information given was balanced, biased in favor of their own products, or sometimes solely just promoting their, their own products. So seven domains giving a score of 14, representing the quality of the website. Now, give me an example of a site with a poor Sandvik score. What might I see on that site? They very typically tend to be sites with no information as to where the information came from, who wrote it, no references to any scientific literature, um, often um, based on opinion or conjecture, um, no data public no no dates or or indication of when they might have been updated uh, no ability to ask questions uh, poorly uh, structured websites so the navigability is very uh, uh, limited and and also um, uh, it would be a website that would tend to promote a specific commercial product and give just one side uh, of the, of, uh, of the evidence for for the product and would try to promote um, a commercial interest. You developed a risk score as well. Can you describe that? Yeah, uh, the score was basically uh, was based on, on four criteria, uh, giving a score of 0 to 4. And firstly, we looked at whether the site discouraged the use of conventional medicine, uh, whether the site discouraged adhering to a clinician's advice, uh, whether the site provides just opinions and experiences rather than factual details, and whether the site provide commercial details as well. So in a sense, it was uh, similar to the Sandvik score, but, but very much more specific in terms of identifying risk rather than just um, giving a picture of quality, overall quality of the site. What did you find? What were your results? We found, we, according to our uh, inclusion criteria for websites, we, we found 21 sites in total. And the mean Sandvik score uh, for the sites was about 9.4. Four websites received the maximum Sandvik score, indicating the best quality of, of information. That's 14 out of 14, which is really, really quite good. Uh, the lowest score awarded was 6 out of 14. Uh, in total, 11 sites were classified as excellent, 9 medium, and 0 poor. Um, two of the 21 websites uh, received the highest risk scores of three out of a potential four. 
And uh, these two sites were the only ones, in fact, to discourage conventional medicine. And uh, none of the websites uh, discouraged adhering to a clinician's advice. So um, generally, the scientific score reflecting the quality of the sites was reasonable. Um, and really, we found only two of the sites actively discouraging um, conventional medicine. Rather than to list the sites that rated well and rated poorly, uh, let me just uh, direct uh, listeners to your webpage, uh, which is linked on the As Seen From Here website in the uh, PubMed uh, linking in the description of this week's podcast. Where CAM therapies were discussed on a website, were they discussed primarily in the context of a website selling that CAM therapy? Well, of the 21 websites that we looked at, 14 um provided commercial details promoting CAM therapies with the possibility of purchasing those particular ones on the, or arranging consultations for them on site. So that was 14 out of 21, um, which is a very high proportion. But it's important to remember that many of these search engines, Google included, and in particular Google, um, very closely guard uh, the way that they rank sites on their search algorithms. And it's widely uh, understood that they will rank commercial sites more highly. So independent organizations or academic institutions or patient information organizations will will just simply not rank as high. So the whole process of searching through the Internet will always bias uh, one towards commercial sites. And that was reflected in our results. Can you give me examples of CAM glaucoma therapies? Yeah, sure. We'll go through... um, the ones most commonly identified, I mean, we identified uh, 42 in total on all of those websites. The most commonly advocated one was vitamin C, or um, ascorbate, which is a cofactor in, in many enzymatic reactions and is also an antioxidant. Now, vitamin C actually has um, a very long historical track record as a CAM therapy, and it's uh, been interpreted as a cure for cancer and a panacea. And there's certainly a significant interest in this um, for, for many decades now. And in fact, much of its popularity um, really was down to Linus Powling, who is one of its most famous advocates. He's, of course, uh, one of the only people to have won two separate Nobel Prizes and lived to the grand old age of 94. Uh, but he wrote many, many books uh, on the use of vitamin C. So it's really very well known. And with regard to glaucoma, of course, um, unfortunately, the, the information's been pretty sparse. We have one trial of 49 patients, which has shown that uh, a very high dose of 500 milligrams IV can decrease intraocular pressure by about 3.5 millimeters of mercury. Um, it's presumed that this is through an osmotic effect. Um, but again, the effect tends to be quite transitory. Um, the biggest problem with using this, of course, is the uh, severe side effects, um, the most uh, important of which was a very severe and prolonged uh, diarrhea, which many of the uh, participants uh, suffered. So um, not much evidence there to show that it's effective in glaucoma. Uh, probably the next, the next most popular therapy that was suggested is uh, coleus forscolin, and that was recommended by eight sites. Um, it's derived from the Indian coleus plant, which uh, is a traditional Indian remedy and very widely used. And it's been widely established to act via um, upregulating 
uh, cyclic AMP. Um, <clears throat> and there are obviously many uh, different uh, effects that it has through the CAMP pathway, including uh, vasodilatation, uh, it's an anti-inflammatory, bron bronchodilatation, and a de decrease in platelet aggregation. And it's also been widely shown to act on the ciliary epithelium through a CAMP-related uh, pathway, which is presumed to change the osmotic gradient, which creates aqueous production in the ciliary epithelium. But studies uh, using this in glaucoma have again been inconclusive. There have been uh, some small trials looking at topical therapy, some of which have shown improvement and some not. And uh, there have been, again, a couple of small trials using oral fulscolin, which have shown no improvement at all. So, again, no clear-cut evidence for uh, any effective use in glaucoma, but certainly a suggestion of it. Uh, probably the next most popular one was uh, ginkgo biloba. And uh, that's, again, very widely uh, known in the glaucoma community as being a CAM therapy for glaucoma. It's a drug which is derived from the, the maidenhair tree, which is a tree native to China, and again has a very potent vasodilating effect. It decreases platelet aggregation. It's an antioxidant. Uh, it improves symptoms of migraine. And according to a recent article in the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association, it apparently acts uh, as a, a memory aid, and there's some quite good evidence to show that. But again, with regard to glaucoma, uh, there has been a phase one trial of 11 patients showing that about 40 milligrams three times a day can dramatically improve ophthalmic artery uh, perfusion uh, and ophthalmic artery flow. And there's been a small randomized control trial which has shown uh, that it can improve visual fields in patients with normal tension glaucoma. Um, we also had several different types of antioxidants mentioned. And of course, there's growing evidence that oxidative stress may play a role in, in ganglion cell death and glaucoma. And there's some evidence to suggest that antioxidant molecules might have a neuroprotective effect. And these are things like rutin, other flavonoids, uh, vitamin E, lipoic acid. But again, there's simply no data showing that uh, oral antioxidant supplements are effective in treating glaucoma. Um, and probably finally, the, the sort of celebrity cam on our list is... Uh, is cannabis, which uh, surprisingly uh, was only really mentioned on two, two websites. But the active ingredient, tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, um, it, it is widely known to reduce intraocular pressure, and receptors for THC have been found in the ciliary epithelium. Um, and this certainly has a well-established effect. Uh, there's a very famous trial from uh, Holland using uh, healthy medical students, uh, which showed that uh, smoking um, THC can decrease intraocular pressure. Uh, but the doses needed are very high, and the, the effect is very transient, thought to be only about 30 minutes or so. Uh, so probably not very effective in treating glaucoma, but there's a lot of research underway to develop synthetic THC in a topical formulation, and uh, we'll have to keep an eye on, on where that goes. Is there any evidence that these therapies are unsafe? Well, Definitely. I think on the whole, on the whole um, these are fairly safe medications. But as I've discussed, some of them have really very powerful pharmacological effects. And uh, probably the most important of these effects um, is the alteration of platelet aggregation. 
and uh, decrease in platelet and downregulation of platelet aggregation factors. And uh, many of these therapies, particularly uh, ginkgo and uh, forskolin, have been widely reported to cause hemorrhage, sometimes fatal hemorrhage, in patients who are on coexistent anticoagulation. So I think we really have to be very aware of this fact. Um, and one other thing I'd like to mention is that uh, one or two websites advocated uh, the use of yoga to treat glaucoma. And in particular, uh, for some reason, the, uh, a particular maneuver called the Sirsasana headstand has been advocated. Now, this involves holding a headstanding position for a prolonged period of time. And again, there have been studies showing that uh, intraocular pressure is probably increased by a factor of two to three-fold by doing that. So probably not the safest thing in the world to do for glaucoma. What do you see at Moorfields regarding CAM? Well, to be honest, we simply don't ask patients, but more and more of them are coming forward and volunteering that they are using CAM therapies. And in fact, some of the consultants at Moorfields are recommending uh, some CAM therapies such as Ginkgo for patients with glaucoma that's refractory to treatment, particularly those with normal tension glaucoma who are progressing despite uh, decreasing uh, uh, quite a low intraocular pressure. And that's, of course, due to its effects on optic nerve head perfusion. Um, yeah, we are seeing patients using it more, and we are sometimes even recommending it. Daniel, since you've become something of an authority on CAM therapy, let me ask you a very practical question. What should I do? I'm in clinical practice. Well, you know, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, this study primarily was, was trying to look at the quality of information out there rather than try to make an assessment of the efficacy of these drugs. I mean, CAM therapies, a lot of them, and some of the ones which are widely uh, advised for glaucoma, I mean, they, are, they are powerful pharmacological agents, and they do have effects, but we simply don't have the evidence to show that they work. But at the same time, we don't have the evidence to show that they don't. So I think on the whole, my um, approach would be supportive of patients, and I think as long as there are no risks, uh, as long as risks can be avoided, as long as they're used in unison with uh, conventional medicine, I think if it's what patients want, then it's something that, that should probably be encouraged. Daniel Ezra, thank you so much. Not at all. It's, really, it's, been, an, it's been a pleasure and an honor, and it's been, it's been nice chatting to you. Daniel Ezra is Clinical Research Fellow at the Moorfields Eye Hospital in London, England. His paper, Systematic Internet-Based Review of Complementary and Alternative Medicine for Glaucoma, appears in the March 2008 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Ezra or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines. In the United States, dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom, dial 020-7558-8275. Or Skype, JYoungMD. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.